Welcome to our second episode of the Learn Buteyko podcast. We really hope you enjoyed our first introductory episode because today we are going to delve into specific aspects of the method and its history. Professor Buteyko predicted that once the average control pulse in society reached 15 seconds, this society will not be able to function properly and he made his mission to stop this trend. But how did he plan to do such a thing? Today, we are going to start a conversation with our guests about fertility, conception, pregnancy, birth, motherhood, all of it in line to what Buteyko thought to be crucial, the breathing future of our children. the great pleasure to share the hosting of this episode with a long-term student of the method, Hugh Coleridge, who's going to be asking those questions that you might have to our truly knowledgeable and experienced guests, who together comprise more than a century of experience with the method. We again have Christopher, Vladimir, Martha, Marcel, Nicolas, and a new addition to the panel today, Irini Dimitriou, a mother, a medical doctor, who is also a great teacher of the method, this time for the Greek community. But before we delve into the topic of our podcast, Hugh, we need to clarify this term that we are continually using, the control pose. What is the control pose? Why is it mentioned in so many of our conversations? Yes, uh, thank you, Javier. In the uh, introductory podcast, we mentioned Professor Pateko's control pulse. Now, as a student of a decade or so, I'm keenly aware of the accurate recording of this measurement because no one can do it for you. And the more accurate information you can pass on to a practitioner, a learned Pateko online practitioner that is, the more help you will get. This is an exact science. Nico, please would you carefully define Professor Bateko's control pause? Yes, Hugh. The control pause is a physiological measurement designed by Professor Buteyko, which is the most accurate assessment of the level of health with respect to chronic disease. It does not require any equipment since it is a simple breathing maneuver. You take a normal breath in, a normal breath out, you hold your breath, pinch your nose, and you register the number of seconds until the first discomfort arises, the first urge to breathe. The time elapsed is your control pause. And Marcel, would you then explain how this differs from Professor Bateko's maximum pause? Whereas the control pause measures the first impulse to breathe, at which point there is no effort to breathe. You're breathing in the same way as you were before you held the nose to do the control pause. A maximum pause requires effort. 
volitional, deliberate will to increase the time that you hold your breath. So it's a bit uncomfortable. And the skill within the practice is learning how to hold the breath for longer and longer periods. And this is done through training to hold increasing lengths of time in incremental, orderly fashion. This is called maximum pause. There's effort. Thank you. Whereas control pause, no effort. Christopher, would you care to add anything to that? Well, what I, what I know is that back in the early days of Bateko's practitioners that have, you know, practitioner conferences and the debates would start about the true control pause and there would be all kinds of fierce arguments and Bateko became a little short-tempered about it, I guess, because it was the very uh, fundamental part of his method. And it's extremely simple because you're holding your breath and as you're holding your breath, the level of CO2 is increasing, obviously. And at a certain point, it triggers the respiratory center. And that's why you feel the urge to breathe and so forth. So it's basically, it's not telling you how much CO2 you've got in the body. It's not giving you really an, an oxygen measurement either. It's actually telling you how sensitive your respiratory center is and that's how you because you breathe 20 to 30,000 times a day and most of it is done in uh, involuntarily so you just breathe according to the sensitivity of your respiratory center and you could see it with such tr incredible accuracy as a measurement Nico said it was a physiological measurement and it really is a physiological measurement but but people need to be relaxed when they do it they need to be precise i mean obviously a higher control pause is better so often people can't help but to try to extend that pause a little bit but you'll always know because the urge to breathe later will be greater than it should so a practitioner should watch out for that and generally speaking the general rule is that a maximum pause should be at least double a control pause. So if someone claims to have a control pause of 20, but a maximum pause of only 30, that would, that would imply that that control pause is not genuine, that they're overholding. I think you can have, a, you can have more than 100% in a maximum pause, but you certainly couldn't have less as a validation of your control pause. But so deadly accurate this thing is in terms of i mean even if it's not you know like we give all these very specific instructions and i remember uh, alexander stalmatsky he never even said to people i'll oh, breathe in gently breathe out gently and let go on the first difficulty he just used to say oh, just uh, make your breath in and breath out and hold you know, like that. And they they naturally would stop at the first resistance. They wouldn't overhold because they had no idea to overhold. So in a way, he tricked them to get a very accurate uh, measurement. And I know in the, I was told by someone who had some knowledge on the subject that in the British Air Force, uh, it was one of the tests that they gave 
prospective pilots, people who are going to train to be airmen. And unless they could forcibly, okay, this is not a control pause, but control pause and maximum pause have some similar lineage in a sense, that they, they had to make maximum pause of 80 seconds. Otherwise, they weren't getting into, they weren't going to be a pilot. And that's because they knew that the longer someone could hold their breath for, greater stamina and the greater health they were in. I don't want to drag the chain too much, but there's some interesting points with control pause. Stalmatsky was having, he, he was a very, very sick person, actually, when he came to the method. And at one stage, he actually thought he was dying. And Professor Bottega wasn't one to visit people in hospitals particularly. But in Stalmatsky's case, he did. And he went to, to visit Stalmatsky. And uh, Stalmatsky had a control pause of 20 seconds so Buteyko just turned around and left, and Stalmatsky called out to him and said, but you're leaving me, I'm, I, I might die, you know. And Buteyko said, not today you're not. You can't really die, or you can't face a major trauma when your control pause is over 20 or over seconds. But certainly when control pause gets to five seconds, you can die easily. There's no doubt about that. And so I, as a practitioner, it's been a marvelous tool to gauge someone's real health. If they've got, say, control pause of 25, 28, 30, I can sleep at night very easily knowing that tomorrow they'll still be there, possibly whinging and moaning and suffering, but not in any great danger. When they've got a control pause of five seconds, or 10 seconds, I know that you really have to pay attention to this case because they could easily slip through your fingers. That's most helpful, Chris. And Vladimir, would you, does that prompt any further observations from you on that subject? Buteyko discovery is made research with his colleagues about level C2 in the body and chronic disorders. Of course, when he found this measurement, control poles, such a measurement of percentage of carbon dioxide in alveoli of lungs, this measurement became scientific measurement and found we are based on what is control pulse at the moment. And the higher control pulse, the less chronic disorders, are if control pulse about 60 seconds, superb stamina, superb endurance, superb health, no symptoms, sleep usually three, four hours a day, People with control pose about 60 seconds have lots of energy, quality of life so high. Other way around, if control pose goes down, 20, some chronic disorders, 15, more severe or more chronic disorders, 10 seconds, even more, 5 seconds, you should call ambulance or people, <laughs> intensive care room, right? 3 seconds, nearly dead, person should be dead. Uh, he confirmed connection between state of health and level of CO2 in the body. He introduced this measurement, control pulse. What is measurement of health? I can definitely relate to what you said about the control pulse of 60 because people who are near that control pulse, they do have that kind of energy that you described. And it's regardless of age. Let's, let's dive into the subject of this podcast, Hugh. My observation is that, quite honestly, society's only hope in many directions is to slow down. And if we can help expectant mothers and children to do so, 
great change in society might occur. The later in life we leave it, the more difficult it will be to do. And am I right in this line of thinking, Christopher and Vladimir? Absolutely. Well, that was his emphasis, Hugh, because he treated middle-aged and older people with very serious diseases to prove his point. He wanted to prove his point on how effective his method was and the idea, the authenticity of the idea. But the clinical direction was supposed to have emphasis on children, but actually babies and mothers. That was his real emphasis. And he did force that because, let's not forget, he was not a man without influence. He was a superior scientist in the Akademicity, Novosibirsk area, independently big scientific man because he did other work. It was recognized by the scientific authorities. And then he came across his idea around his method and so forth. And then he went into, he was so shocked by his discovery that he retreated actually. And he spent, I think it was eight years, if I'm not mistaken, going over all the physiology, biology, biochemistry, and working the theory out in great detail because he was familiar with the story of Ignaz Semmelweis, uh, discovered the dangers of infection, particularly during childbirth. And he is the reason why today we all wash our hands, wash our clothes, and generally practice hygiene because Zemmelweis made a discovery predicated on germs or something passing from one person or thing to another and creating infection. But he didn't have the theory nailed down. He had the anecdotal evidence nailed down. He had some very good hypotheses perhaps uh, organized and he was pilloried. He was destroyed. He ended up in a mental asylum and bankrupt. And uh, he died in poverty and in a disgraceful situation, this great man. And Bottega knew that his discovery was of a similar dimension. And so he wanted to make a presentation with all the biology, physiology, biochemistry, anecdotal evidence and everything to be absolutely watertight so that when he presented it, Nobody could say a peep about it. So to make it, how would you say, a fait accompli, so that's it, that's done, you know? And that's why when, when I asked, uh, you know, Stalmatsky made all these claims and I saw them with my eyes and I thought, well, we need some documentation. And boy, did he provide it. A whole suitcase full of this stuff, which we had to translate and so forth, and all this research work. So Bottega went berserk on, he already knew what it was. He already understood it all. But he was going to nail it down principle by principle, issue by issue. Not that it did any good, I'm sorry to say. Not that it changed the character or the emphasis of medical authorities. It was a most peculiar scenario and i think much to his disappointment well not really disappointment i guess things go the way they go you know i'm sure he could accept it but i think he spent most of his time working with practitioners treating adults kids of course teenagers the odd baby here and there and so forth and pregnant mothers and whatever but mainly it was 
sick people who are desperate for help. And I think that was, would, would that be right, Vladimir? Yes, because I, I took these documents for you. <laughs> yes. And said to Australia, yes. <laughs> Again, I should prove. No one, you see, proved debrief is good. No one. No scientific article about debrief, all right? Apotheca proved already it is bad idea to breathe deeper. It is against human nature. Yeah. And everyone, it's the general rule, deep breathing, take a deep breath. You're stressed out, take a deep breath. You're having a birth, take a deep breath. You're doing physical. I mean, we're even seeing it, I don't know if it's still done, but I remember when I first started practicing teenage kids and so forth, they're asthmatic and they're about to play a sport, soccer, football, whatever. Before you go on the field, take a few puffs of Ventolin. Very clever. And about to see treatment of children, babies, pregnant women, because there are two approaches, right, in any treatment. To have deal with disorder, what already developed, or prevent any disorder. Buteka emphasized, okay, to prevent any disorder. He was concerned about future generation, women before pregnancy, babies and children. By the way, it is easy. Yeah, much easier. So Buteko thought it to be very important uh, for the mother, indirectly, of course, to teach the breathing to the baby. So how did he manage this? Well, a few things that if the mother knows the method herself, then she's naturally going to comfort the child and hold the child, cultivate that kind of shallow breathing, the very light, secure. When a person feels secure and, and cozy and nice and uh, their breathing naturally becomes lighter anyway. The child copies the parents. I do have a question for Vladimir. Why is it a shock to be born? It is physiological fact. Environment of womb of mother has 8.5 percentage of carbon dioxide. That's in the amniotic fluid, is it? Yeah. All right. And when the baby is born, it is a shock for her body because percentage of carbon dioxide in atmosphere much lower, okay, 9.9, 30, whatever, 5 or 32. It's going down now, 35 maybe, right? Oh, you mean 0.04? And is there a relationship between how the mother is breathing at the point of giving birth and then the baby's breathing having received this nasty shock? Baby had a higher percentage of carbon dioxide. It is a natural for any baby, okay, it is a way how nature saves or protects any baby. You know, baby even takes some see, minerals and amino acids from mother, right? But when baby goes out, it is a big shock for baby because percentage is so low. How does the mother's breathing affect the baby's breathing pattern when it's... According to the researches, you see, baby inherits breathing pattern from mother, from his or her mother. Buteka said last in breath of mother goes to first in breath of baby. That's very interesting, Vladimir. I bet very few in our audience are aware that there is this differential between the carbon dioxide in the womb and the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Never mind that being really relevant for the health of the baby. What are we to make of all this, Hugh? Society is going at breakneck speed and its health is declining. We are exhorted to get this, grab that, rush me this. 
I had an email last night from Pizza Express, new menu alert, exclamation mark. <laughs> Indeed, Professor Boteco talked about the deep-seated principle of greed underlying all our woes. We are literally gasping to keep up, everyday life apart. All too often one hears eminent people in the academic and science fields taking gasps of air between sentences. Yet when you look at a healthy newborn baby, you can hardly see it breathing. It is still and calm. Mothers may even be concerned about this state. Lao Tzu said, can you control your breathing so that it is soft and gentle like that of a healthy newborn babe? Irene, what help and advice did you receive from the health authorities about breathing during pregnancy and birth? Before giving birth for the first time, I had some prenatal lessons and they advised me to breathe deeply with big inhales and deep, slow exhales from the mouth. And they advised me that this would be the perfect breathing process during labor to help me get through that. In reality, I did not follow this advice because I had no control at that point and I did whatever came to my body to do. No control and just did whatever. I see. Mm -hmm. So uh, you were encouraged to deep breathe. Of course. Huge breath, they said. Martha, would you answer the same question more or less? What advice earlier than Irene did, did you get? Well, Hugh, I, with my first baby, I went to antenatal classes and the midwife taught us how to pull our tummy in when we breathe in and then pull it and the tummy should pop out as we breathe out. So that's the sort of classic way that people are taught to breathe, particularly in the culture of the time when women were in playtex girdles and their tummies were being pulled in. So I, that was what I was taught in the class and I got very confused because I was a meditator. And so I questioned the, the, the midwife about it. I said, well, if... I'm going to get the baby out. I'm going to need to relax. And the, as the air goes in, the belly is going to go out. To me, that makes sense. And then I'll ha on the out breath, I'll be able to push. Well, she got really hot under the collar with me and told me off. I said I didn't know what I was talking about. So I left that and moved on to the National Childbirth Trust instructor. And that was deep breathing, as Irene said. I can confirm that. And so in the end... I worked it out for myself to keep as calm as possible and to breathe as little as possible due to my meditation practice. But when I was in a lot of pain, I had to deep breathe in order to push the pain away. I, I, it was almost like I was swimming. I was doing breaststroke on the outbreath <laughs> in the air to relieve the pain. So you worked out, in fact, that shallow breathing was better for you than deep breathing. Well, just leaving the body to breathe by itself is what I look yes. at. And it doesn't normally go into deep breathing, but it did go into deep breathing when I was in a lot of pain. Because a lot of pain deepens the breathing, doesn't it? Yes. That's very illuminating because the emphasis, as I understand it, and I'm not a mother, obviously, is always on deep breathing here and deep breathing there. Irene, uh, there seems to be a connection between levels of carbon dioxide 
you know, the shock that the baby has when he's born with the difference of the levels and then the very important connection that the baby must have with the mother. What is your take on that from your professional point of view, but also from your personal point of view? There are many studies that when the baby is born and is really near the body of his or her mother, remains much calmer and thrives much better than when it doesn't. Uh, that's why, because the heart rate uh, remains calmer, the sympathetic nervous system remains untriggered. And um, there is a kind of connection when, when a baby is born, it's not really separated from the mother completely. It remains connected for a, a big period of time. It's uh, for around three years. It, it becomes less and less, but the connection at the beginning, for sure, it's uh, very intense. And the mother feels that also and the baby feels that also. When the nervous system is calm, the hormonal system remains in order somehow, and breathing remains calm. Uh, I was not aware of the breathing pattern and all these uh, Buteyko's research um, results when I, I gave birth to my uh, first two children. I didn't take care of uh, their breathing. I left my baby boy sleep uh, with open mouth all the time. And I saw, I am, I'm seeing now pictures of them and I regret that a lot, but I influenced a lot the breathing of my third child in uh, keeping her mouth closed all the time. And I realized that when I, I was breathing properly, she copied, as Chris said, exactly what I did. This happens automatically. They copy everything. So I felt this passing uh, through to her all the time. But those amongst us who are older would remember that to have a mouth open was considered to look stupid or even be rude. And that if you were, not these days perhaps, but definitely when my parents were young, that's for sure, having, walking around with an open mouth was not acceptable. Growing up in Australia, I'd hear people saying, you'll catch a fly if you do that. Well, my mother was Australian too, and she used to say, for God's sake, shut your mouth. You don't want to look like the village idiot. My mother, grandfather told me the same, and he made the comparison with a horse, because when he would like to buy a horse, he pushed horse to run in a circle, right? And then stopped the horse and checked her breathing. He bring deep, forget it. I wanted to ask, perhaps Martha also has a, a perspective on what we touched upon with Irini, uh, contact that the baby needs with the mother and how much of a different experience I think you had and also from the point of view of the Buteyko method. Well, when I, when I first became a mother, I was taught how to swaddle the baby. I didn't know why, but I did do it. And I knew that keeping the baby close to me was important. And I was more vigilant with that with the second baby to keep the, the baby. I had the baby sleeping with me by the time I had my second baby. And that kept everything a lot calmer. But uh, unfortunately, I, like Irene, I didn't know anything about the method at the time. And, um, but I was aware that the breathing was very, very shallow and I'd be listening out very carefully to make sure they were alive. I was also taught to put the baby on the left side too, which now isn't allowed, it's on the back. Left side is better for breathing and swaddling is better for breathing for a baby keeps it shallower, supports the chest and gives it a frame. So it's because babies are floppy, they're like jelly. And as soon as they come out, they've got no support. So their chests will move very easily. So um, 
It wasn't until they were teenagers that I knew about the method and so I was able to get them to learn the method and we got through a few scrapes with them doing their their exercises and helping to improve their breathing. Their results are very quick but they don't always carry on practicing but at least they've learned the skill. But in terms of um, my experience of being brought up, my, my mother was a, a a vigilant uh, practitioner. She practiced Dr. Spock's approach. And uh, so I was fed every four hours and I was put to bed in a cot miles away from her or in the garden. And that was what was prescribed in Dr. Spock's book. And many mothers followed his prescriptions. She was, she wanted to breastfeed. She was unusual. In those days, people were encouraged to bottle feed. She did breastfeed, but unfortunately she lost her milk within weeks because she wasn't feeding by demand. She wasn't feeding enough and I didn't have enough contact with her to encourage her body to produce the milk. So I was found to be malnourished at the age of three months. I hadn't been fed for, properly for about six weeks. Could I just wind back for one second? It's slightly important. Martha mentioned and it's true, I remember it. They were insisting that children lie on their back and they claimed they discovered the reason for SIDS, S-I-D-S, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. And the way they discovered it was they found high levels of CO2, high levels of CO2 around the environment of the baby. Most likely, the baby expired this CO2. It was the loss of the baby's CO2, not an ambient high level of CO2 in the ambient environment, but the baby's loss of CO2, which actually created the what, what became known as sudden infant death syndrome. That was a very important point, Christopher. Martha, I would like to finish this episode giving a clear idea as to why women should give birth with a high control pulse. Please tell us about it. So, you know, in my case, I think my control pause was no more than 15 seconds when I got pregnant. Maybe less. And certainly would have been less by the time I was full term because what I've seen is, is that control pause goes down as you get heavier and heavier. And what I've noticed is the diaphragm gets pushed up, so that makes the chest move. You have to, you you are more likely to move your chest when you're fully pregnant, because there's not much room. But mostly your abdomen's filled up with the baby, so it's very difficult to move the abdomen. And so you do need that high control pause in order to maintain the shallow breathing, because it's a that high control pause, that kind of shallow breathing is very internal. It's very subtle. There's hardly any physical movement at all. So that's why it's important that the control pause is high, is to be able to breathe very subtle, because uh, you've got this big physical object growing in, in your abdomen, which is where the breathing mechanism is placed. But in my case, I felt, you know, that I, I enjoyed being pregnant because I liked the hormones, because my nervous system was calmer. That was the benefit. But I did have morning sickness, for a few weeks, not severely, but I did. And when I was giving birth, I had a very difficult time, long, slow birth. The cervix took hours to open and it was very tiring. It was exhausting. It took me a long time to recover afterwards because it was over two days length. The second time I gave birth, 
Again, it was going to be slow, uh, but it wasn't quite as slow. You know, the, the thing of getting the baby out was a problem the second time because his head was so huge. And, uh, you know, the, the whole effort of it was massive. Whereas I've noticed that women who give birth with a higher control pause, it's just like going to the toilet relatively to what I went through. It just cut, everything works. Cervix opens in good time. The baby comes down the birth canal. It's not difficult. There's no tearing, you know, there's no interventions that have to take place. And um, the recovery afterwards is, is very quick. Whereas I, I don't know whether I reco ever recovered really until I learned the method because I had inflammation, I had pain in, in the joints, I had fatigue after giving birth. You know, it, my health just deteriorated further having given birth to two children. I think that's very important for any future mother to hear, absolutely. Women come to workshops who are pregnant and routinely their control pause is 10 seconds, which means they're yeah. breathing sometimes more and they're pregnant. There seems to be a drop just from the fact of becoming pregnant, there seems to be a drop and that's why we have to emphasize that if a woman wants to get pregnant, they should be very healthy first. And the way to measure this level of health is the control pose. So they should do the method before getting pregnant and pregnancy is also going to be much easier. It can be a real ordeal for the woman to go through pregnancy with a very low control pose to start with because it's going to be lowered anyway. I urge anybody listening to the podcast that they find out for themselves that they go to our website, which is learnbutecoonline.net and look at the many testimonies that they can find there of people who have changed their lives and their health completely by the method. Go to the Learn Buteco YouTube channel as well. If your mother language is not English, you also have the chance to find the method in your language. It could be Greek, it could be Spanish, it could be Hebrew and more visit the website and sign up for one of the free webinars to find out for yourself to make your questions to talk about your condition and ask the practitioners they're very generous with their time and they're going to give you good advice as you're going to find out if this is something that is going to fit for you so thank you thank you so much to all this is a great project uh, I personally loving it. I love these conversations that we're having about this very, very important method to find out about these days. Absolutely. Till the next one. See you there. Goodbye.